We are in week six of our look at being unshakable, thriving no matter what hits you. So having an unshakable faith in the midst of challenging circumstances. And we're learning from some very remarkable people. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. They were some extraordinary prisoners of war. Young men captured from their home country of Judah, but through the grace of God, they had gained favor and position, even through incredible testing and circumstances for the rest of their lives in Babylon. The king who captured them is also a very remarkable person for very different reasons. And I would like us to have a look at Nebuchadnezzar, the conquering king, in the first third of the book of Daniel. So as a quick overview of the first three chapters. In chapter one, the first year of his reign, King Nebuchadnezzar, he conquers Jerusalem, and the scripture tells us that God let him do it. Nebuchadnezzar, he plunders the holy temple of God. He takes the gold spoils to his Babylonian temple in the worship of his multiple gods. And now he also captures the cream of the crop citizens, and he indoctrinates them in the ways of his culture so that they will serve him the way he wants them to. That's chapter one. In chapter two, he reports that he's having troubling dreams, but he demands that his magicians and sorcerers and enchanters and astrologers tell him the dream before they actually interpret it. Now, this is, the, is one of the first glimpses into the depth of crazy of this particular king. Now, it is important to note that it was actually God who gave him the troubling dream. And then God, thankfully, provided Daniel with the interpretation who identified that King Nebuchadnezzar's position was actually given by God. God let a crazy man rule. Now, I am not inferring anything about uh, any type of politics uh, today, the character of any of our politicians, just that God lets them rule. Now, it doesn't matter the strength or beauty of any earthly kingdom's dominion. In that chapter, we learned whether gold or silver or bronze, iron or an iron-clay mix, the fact was that God's kingdom would bring all other kingdoms down, either great kingdoms or small, down to dust like chaff on a threshing floor. And so this is where I want us to pause and take caution for any kingdoms that we ourselves might be building in our businesses, in our schools, in our home, on social media, whatever um, arena we exercise authority in. Now, let me tell you a personal story. It's about my backyard, which is my dominion, my kingdom. We back onto green space and I have planted trees and I have trimmed existing trees and, in, and planted great gardens, and, and I, I love my backyard. It's, it's my sanity space. And um, I remember one time uh, working back there, trimming up some trees, and I felt like the Spirit of God said to me, you know, Raj, none of this is yours. And I was like, hmm, that's sobering. A little sad, but at the same time, I just thought, you're right. I can trim all the trees I want and make them grow in the patterns that I want them to, 
but I didn't create the trees. I don't own them. And I appreciated what the Spirit of God was saying to me. I didn't claim ownership to my backyard. I love the way that God drops thoughts into our minds. Or in the case of Nebuchadnezzar, dreams into the night. Now what we do with them is up to us. What we do with the thoughts or the revelations that God gives um, impacts us, our lives, and certainly the lives of others as well. Now, in Nebuchadnezzar's case, God gave him the dream out of the blue. It was unsolicited, and God did it to give him a glimpse into the future to reiterate that God indeed is above it all. But it was unsolicited information. Nebuchadnezzar wasn't looking for it. Now, the king's reaction, again, it shows a whole other level of crazy. He's wanting to execute all the wise men who couldn't describe the dream. Now, in Daniel's case, God gave him the vision and the interpretation as a result of pleading for mercy. Daniel was soliciting the information from God, and God answered. Daniel went looking for it. Now, the king's reaction to Daniel's interpretation when Daniel revealed what, what he learned was to fall prostrate before Daniel and to honor him, saying, man, your God is the best. Let's look at it, Daniel 2.47. The king said to Danley, Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. This is a wake-up call to Nebuchadnezzar that eventually he ignores. This guy seems to be all over the place. Now, oddly enough, Daniel reaped some reward. The king offered him a great job, great benefits, all kinds of gifts, which brings us then to chapter 3. Nebuchadnezzar is back to build me a gold statue 90 feet tall and worship it. I am demanding adoration from you, for me, oh yeah, and for my gods as well. So chapter 3 also informs us of the several times that Nebuchadnezzar falls into a furious rage. He must have forgotten about his previous experience. And he declares, what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? And then he gets so mad at the Israelite boys that he fires the furnace up seven times hotter and he loses some soldiers because of it. However, by the end of this chapter and by God's great deliverance, we see this reaction. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble, for no other god can save in this way. Yikes. He's back to being crazy, even in the midst of this declaration. And then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. So, are you seeing a pattern here in chapters 1 through 3? Nebuchadnezzar is belligerent, and he's defiant, and he's angry, and he's furious, he's crazy. And then God proves himself in a mighty way through the faith of his people, 
and Nebuchadnezzar turns around, but just for a short time, never quite completely. You would think that he would have learned by now. And that brings us to chapter 4, what we're studying today. King Nebuchadnezzar writes a letter to his people. How nice is that? Uh, to the whole world, in fact. Consider it an open letter on social media. To the nations and peoples of every language who live in all the earth, may you prosper greatly. Okay, well, this is a better start. Seems to be in a, a better mood today. It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. Oh, that sounds promising. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. Wow, what has happened to King Nebuchadnezzar? He has done a complete turnaround. Thank you, Jesus. I wonder what happened. Well, let's read on in verse 4 and we'll find out. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. I had a dream that made me afraid. Uh-oh, here we go again. As I was lying in bed, the images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. So I commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be brought before me to interpret the dream for me. When the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners came, I told them the dream, but they could not interpret it for me. Oh, at least this time he told them the dream. At least they're not getting the ax this time. Verse 8, finally Daniel came into my presence and I told him the dream. He's called Belteshazzar, after the name of my God, and the spirit of the holy gods is in him. Okay, so now at this point we're uncovering something about Nebuchadnezzar's um, understanding. We know that he's not completely following the true God. He certainly messed up about his theology about Jehovah, the God of the Israelites, and he's still trying to change Daniel's identity. He keeps referring to Daniel by the name he gave him, which is a false identity. He's always trying to make Daniel fit into his mold, and he's still trying to indoctrinate him after all these years. Now, for me, this is a similar people, uh, principle to how some people might be treating us or viewing us. You are only who Jesus says you are. Not what the devil calls you, not what the world calls you, not what anyone else calls you, just what God calls you. And it doesn't matter what you used to be, you're not that anymore. Let's skip ahead from Daniel several centuries into the New Testament where we read this. Let no one deceive you with empty words for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is our true identity. Do not let anyone tell you otherwise. If you have a King Nebuchadnezzar in your life telling you otherwise, kick him to the curb. 
You own the name that God alone gives you, not the name that anyone in the world calls you. Amen? Amen? Yeah, I believe it. I'm redeemed. Okay, back to 600 BC. King Nebuchadnezzar, he went on to say this, I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you and no mystery is too difficult for you. Here is my dream. Interpret it for me. These are the visions I saw while lying in bed. I looked, and there before me stood a tree in the middle of the land. Its height was enormous. The tree grew large and strong, and its top touched the sky. It was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant, and on it was food for all. Under it, all the wild animals found shelter, and the birds lived in its branches. From it, every creature was fed. Well, actually, this sounds like a pretty nice dream so far. Verse 13. In the visions I saw while lying in bed, I looked, and there before me was a holy one, a messenger, coming down from heaven. He called out in a loud voice, cut down the tree and trim off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it and the birds from under its branches. Okay, so the dream is taking a turn for the worse. Now, I've got a chainsaw. I've taken down trees. This is precisely what happens. All the birds and the squirrels, they scatter. Verse 15. But let the stump and its roots, bound with iron and bronze, remain in the ground, in the grass of the field. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven, and let him live with the animals among the plants of the earth. So him. Now the tree is being personified. It's being identified as a very specific person. Verse 16, let his mind be changed from that of a man and let him be given the mind of an animal till seven times pass by for him. The decision is announced by messengers. The holy ones declare the verdict so that the living may know that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and he gives them to anyone he wishes and he sets over them the lowliest of people. So the lesson of the dream was already included in the dream, so that the living may know that the Most High is sovereign. But the king, he still wanted the interpretation of all the other stuff, and apparently none of his regular wise men could do it. So let's call on Daniel. His God has always come through before. Let's ask him again. Daniel gets asked, and he has an adverse reaction. He became greatly troubled. Verse 19, then Daniel was greatly perplexed for a time, and his thoughts terrified him. So the king said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its meaning alarm you. Belteshazzar answered, my lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies, and its meaning to your adversaries. Your majesty, you are that tree. This is the interpretation, your majesty, and this is the decree the Most High has issued against the Lord my King. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. 
God gave the interpretation to Daniel. And Daniel was perplexed. He was puzzled. God, what are you doing here? Why are, why are you doing this? He's perplexed. He's puzzled. Daniel was also terrified. Now, was he terrified for himself? We don't really know. Was he terrified for this king? The scripture remains silent on it, but knowing what we do of Daniel, he does seem genuinely concerned for the welfare of this erratic king. It's kind of a bad news, good news combination. In verse 26, he goes on to say, the command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Then he takes a risk. Therefore, your majesty, please be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that then your prosperity will continue. It's as though Daniel is admonishing the king. Daniel is brave enough or he has favor enough to offer some stinging advice. Please, king, abandon your stubbornness and your arrogance. Acknowledge that heaven rules. You are actually not number one. Daniel is preaching the classic message, repent, turn from your sins to be saved. May we heed his warning about the sin of pride, of arrogance, of thinking so highly of yourself that you're setting yourself up for a fall. Take heed. Now, King Nebuchadnezzar, he was a successful warrior. He had conquered Jerusalem. He had captured the elite. But he seems crazed for power, and he placed unrealistic demands on everyone around him. He had fits of rage and fury. He is so volatile. He's ready to kill Daniel and then to honor him, and then to kill him again, and then to honor him. And he's ready to acknowledge the true God, but then not really, not again. He is all over the map. But God, in his mercy, continues to reach out to this erratic king. And I think... If God has that much patience for such a wretch, what about for you and for me? The title in our series this week is, When God Tests You with Success. Now, initially, I think, yes, please, bring it on. I'll take that test of success, especially with my stock portfolio, right? Now, what does success look like for you? Is it a promotion, a pay raise, fame, fortune, power, prestige, recognition, lots of money, whatever it is. The problem with gaining that type of success is that it can wreck people. We all know Hollywood examples of people who have risen to fame and fortune and then they just get dragged to death in a life of drugs and alcoholism and their success actually leads to their ruin. And what we see here in Daniel chapter 4 is that Nebuchadnezzar's success led to arrogance, to crazy pride. And pride blinds us to truth. We may even get warnings from reputable people like Daniel. 
and still turn a deaf ear. Even when the warnings have hope as part of the promise. For instance, in 26, the command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. But King Nebuchadnezzar, like so many of the rest of us, seems to have to learn the hard way. Twelve months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, Is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence, by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? Oh, brother, the arrogance just seems to emanate from him. It's, it's hard to have pity on him, but pity is precisely what God does for him. God has pity on him by stripping him of his prestige. A humbling circumstance may actually be an act of mercy from the hand of God. Let's read on in verse 31. Even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives him to anyone he wishes. Immediately what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. Have you ever known someone who just snapped? This is what's happening here. He was driven away from people and he ate grass like the ox. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. Now, in politics, this may be the perfect opportunity for his son to kill him and take control of the throne. In some cultures, and we know in history, this has happened. The son would assassinate the king in order to gain the throne, but not so in Babylonian uh, culture. In the ancient Middle East, the mentally ill were sometimes regarded with a superstitious fear, as it was thought that they had a special uh, channel to the divine, and so their ravings were often examined for evidence of inspiration. So there's no reason to suppose that Nebuchadnezzar would have necessarily been murdered during his period of his incapacitation. His son may have been happy to wait for his father's natural death, and of course, in the meantime, he enjoyed all the privileges of full kingship while serving as prince regent. However, in verse 34, at the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven. This act of raising one's eyes toward heaven is a voluntary act of submission of exercising humility, of saying, I look to you, O God, for my help. I give up. Whatever humbling circumstance that you might be in, or whatever warning that you might be hearing, please repent. Turn away from your sin, if it's pride or whatever it is, and be reconciled to God. Humble yourself under his mighty hand and he will lift you up. Be encouraged. If God has the patience and the care for a king like Nebuchadnezzar, he has patience and care for you as well. 
So turn to him wholeheartedly with everything that you are and everything that you have. And we're going to finish up with the final verses of this chapter. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time that my sanity was restored, my honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Let's pray together, shall we? Father, we take great comfort that you are sovereign. You are above all, and your kingdom rules throughout eternity. We thank you for the privilege of being your children, children of light. And so, Lord, we will walk in your ways. We humble ourselves before you. Remove from us any stain of pride or arrogance or stubbornness in every single area of our lives. We heed the advice of Daniel to repent to turn from our sins and be saved, to acknowledge that heaven rules. We raise our eyes to heaven. And Lord, when we're tested with success, be it favor or good fortune or whatever it looks like, we will give you the praise. You get the credit. We love you and declare your lordship over our lives. Amen.